Welcome to Endless Summers, an Australian Test Cricket History Podcast. Season 2, Episode 7, 1903-04 vs England. Blame it on the Bosey. This is Part 2 of our episode covering the 1903-04 tour by England. Part 1 was released last week and covers the first two tests of the five-test series. We resume with the series 2-0 in England's favour. Just under two weeks later, the two sides reconvene in Adelaide for the third test. In order to save the series, the selectors replaced Saunders, who had been ineffective in the previous tests despite favourable conditions, with all-rounder Charlie McLeod. Melbourne newspapers had to call for the inclusion of former captain Harry Trott, whilst the Adelaide advertiser wanted Gregory Trott for the local player Algie Gears, but these calls fell on deaf ears. For England, Foster had recovered from his illness to take his place, whilst Knight and Ralph made way for Bosanquay and Fielder. The Australians won the toss under clear skies and opened with Trumper and Duff. Duff started with six runs off the first over from Fielder, setting the tone for the morning's play. The score was rising at better than a run a minute as fast running was combined with boundary hits to quickly push the score forward. Duff took Fielder for consecutive fours, bringing up the team 50 and seeing the bowler replaced by Rhodes. Duff dominated the opening partnership, bringing up his 50 whilst Trumper was only on 28. Warner cycled through his bowlers, but little threatened the batsmen as boundaries were found with ease. The century stand was raised as Warner turned to his sixth bowler Hurst just before lunch. On the final ball before the break, Duff, who had made his way to 79 with 13 boundaries, had his stumps scattered by Hurst. The opening partnership had been broken at 129 as the teams took lunch. At lunch, former captain Joe Darling, on a break from his farm in Tasmania, posed the photos with the touring English. Following the break, Trumper was joined by local hero Hill. With a boundary in the opening over, Trumper moved to his half-century. Hill batted in a similar fashion to his predecessor, striking Braun to the square leg boundary before driving two in his next over for fours, passing 2,000 test runs in the process. The score was now racing towards 200, with the milestone coming up in only two and a quarter hours batting. Trumper also moved his score on quickly, reaching the 90s. Hill brought up his own half century with the boundary off roads before Trumper brought up his 100, the fourth of his career and second in the series. The players moved towards T with little difficulty before Hurst was brought back for the final over. He repeated his success from the first session, this time bowling Trumper for 113, made in just over three hours with 12 fours. Lunch was then taken with the Australians now at 2 for 272. Noble joined Hill, who had made his way to 72. The Australian captain was lucky to survive a run-out opportunity before scoring, and then proceeded cautiously. Hill continued to be aggressive, and this led to his downfall on 88 when he chased a wide one from Arnold and edged through to the keeper. His dismissal at 3 for 296 caused the collapse as Gregory fell shortly after for three, caught at mid-on off Arnold, whilst Hopkins didn't get off the mark before he was clean-bowled by Bosanquay. The Australians had lost three for 14 as Armstrong came in to join his captain. Noble, who had been batting carefully as wickets fell at the other end, now struck several boundaries, moving his score on to 30. Armstrong spent half an hour getting to 10 before the return of Rhodes ended his innings, trapping him leg before off the first ball of his spell. Trumbull came to the crease and saw out the rest of the day with Noble, with the Australians finishing on 6 to 355, the Australian captain not out 38. Day 2 saw the English resume with the bowling of Arnold and Bosanquay. The wicket was two-paced, with each end presenting different challenges to the batsmen. Noble began the day with a boundary, but Trumbull was out soon after the resumption of play, bowled without adding to his overnight score of 4 by Bosanquay. McLeod joined Noble, who, after being lucky not to be run out, soon brought up his 50. 
Noble looked to attack more, striking another boundary. Against Arnold, he left his crease and missed, only for Lily to fail to complete the stumping. When Noble gave the English keeper another chance later in the over, Lily took his opportunity, with Noble out for 59. Soon afterwards, McLeod was run out for eight from a throw by Rhodes from deep point, whilst Kelly was last man dismissed, trapped LBW by Bosenquay for one. The Australians ended their innings with a total of 388, having lost their last nine wickets for 116 runs. For the English, Arnold and Bosenquay took three wickets apiece. The English innings began at 1pm, with Warner and Hayward opening. Noble turned to McLeod to open the bowling, having returned to decide to provide the faster bowling that the Australians had lacked since the decline of Jones. Charles Edward McLeod was born on the 24th of October 1869 in Port Melbourne. He grew up in a cricketing family as one of six brothers, with Daniel and Robert playing for Victoria, whilst Robert also featured in six tests for Australia from 1891 to 1893. McLeod made his debut for Victoria in 1893-94 and made an immediate impact, taking 27 wickets and finishing only behind the great Terra Turner on the charts. This led to his selection in the first test of the 1894-95 test series against England. He would often be in and out of the side over the next 10 years as he couldn't quite secure a permanent spot, but was often used for his Dow batting and his reliable medium-fast bowling, with his stand-up performance being a century in Sydney against England in 1898. He was also profoundly deaf, which led to his downfall on one occasion when he was bowled off a no-ball, but failed to hear the call and left his crease, only to be run out. As was often the case, he was chosen to fill a hole in the side and would do so to the best of his ability. McLeod's first ball was driven almost to the rope by Hayward before Warner ended the over with a boundary. Trumbull was his usual miserly self from the other end, but no chances were created. Howell and Hopkins were tried, but the English openers could not be dislodged in the half hour up to lunch, with the score reaching 29 as the break was taken. Over 18,000 were now in attendance, including the Governor-General of Australia. Following lunch, the score moved on to 47 before a ball from Howell grazed the edge of Hayward's bat before collecting the off-stump dismissing him for 20. In the next over, after Warner took a leg by, Newbats and Tilsey attempted a hook shot off Hopkins. The ball was gloved down the leg side, where Kelly dived to take a superb catch, sending the batsman on his way for a duck. Newbatsman Foster was still suffering the effects of his illness from the previous test. He batted slowly, with the Australian's excellent fielding preventing the scoreboard from advancing at pace. At the other end, Warner was batting in a dour fashion and was nearly bowled by Trumbull when in the 30s. He ground his way to 48 before lashing out at a ball from Trumbull, only to be caught at mid-on by McLeod. Brown then combined with Foster, but the two couldn't repeat their heroics from the first test, with Foster edging a ball to slip off Noble to be out for 21, having batted for over an hour. Hurst joined Braun, and the two took the score past 100 as T approached, with Braun ending the session with a shot into the grandstand off Armstrong. Upon resumption, Braun was dismissed off the first ball, skying a ball from Hopkins and was caught at square leg by Duff for 13. Half the English side had now been dismissed with the score only on 116, still trailing by 272 runs. Bosenquay joined Hurst, who was batting in a much more free mode than his teammates. He struck a boundary off Hopkins that was so fierce he had to call for a new bat. Bosenquay also found the boundary and helped take the score past 140. Bosenquay then attempted a big hit off Hopkins, but fell in the same way as Braund, caught by Duff for 10, giving Hopkins his third wicket. Hurst was joined by his Yorkshire teammate Rhodes, and the two pushed the score past 150 before McLeod got his first wicket, having Rhodes caught at point for nine. As Stumps approached, new man Arnold found a boundary first ball off McLeod, whilst Hurst went past 50 with a well-run single. The two batsmen looked to see out the day and batted slowly. However, at five minutes to six, 
Hurst couldn't help himself, and a skied ball from Trumbull was caught on the long arm boundary by Trumper, having made 58 in just under two hours. The day ended there with the English on 8 for 199, still trailing by 189 runs. After the rest day, Arnold was joined at the crease by Lilly. Lilly took a single to bring up the 200 before batting in a busy fashion, scoring at a run a minute. He managed 28 runs whilst his partner Arnold could only compile seven, before Lilly was run out by a strong throw from Armstrong. The final partnership managed to add a further 11 runs before last man fielder was bowled by Trumbull. Arnold remained undefeated on 23 as the English innings concluded on 245, trailing Australia by 143 runs. The wickets were shared, with Hopkins taking three. With English having scraped past the follow-on target of 228, the Australians went into bat again. Trumper and Duff opened, with Duff smacking the first ball from Hurst to the fence for four. It was Trumper, though, who made most of the early running, finding boundaries off Arnold, Hurst and Bosanquay to take him to 21 at the lunch break, with Duff on eight. Following lunch, Trumper continued on at a run a minute, but Duff was struggling. He made his way to 14 in over half an hour at the crease before he was caught low down in the slips off Hurst. Hill joined Trumper at 1 for 48 and played second fiddle as Trumper soon after raced past 50. He looked set for a second century in the match before the arrival of Rhodes to the bowling crease brought about his downfall when he was trapped LBW for 59, including 7 fours. He was replaced by the Australian captain at 2 for 81. Hill and Noble took the Australians past 100 before Fielder clean bowled Hill for 16, having taken almost an hour to compile that score. Gregory came to the crease and immediately Warner posted six fielders in the slips, trying to catch Gregory in his most favoured shot area. This was unsuccessful as Gregory quickly penned past Noble's score as T was taken. The Australian score soon after the break went past 150 with a boundary to Gregory, with the lead moving into the 300s. When his score was on 37, Noble ran out and missed a ball from Bosanquay only for Lilly to fail to complete the stumping. To add insult to injury, Noble hit the next ball through the slips for four. At the other end, Gregory brought up his 50 with two successive boundaries off Braund. The score was rattling along now and 200 was raised, with a century partnership coming up shortly afterwards. With Noble content to hold up his end, Gregory made most of the play. He struck three boundaries in an over off Arnold, before taking eight off the next from the same bowler. He raced into the 90s with a cut for four off fielder, whilst a hook shot off the same bowler took him to 99 and over later. He brought up his century, his fourth in tests, soon after to applause from the crowd and from the English, recognising the quality of his play. Noble then brought up his 50, having taken over two hours to do so. Gregory was attempting to hit everything, taking four and then three off Bosanquay, but was then out in the next over, edging a ball high over the keeper's head off Braund, with Rhodes running around to take the catch. He's 112 and included 17 boundaries, and was made in two hours, sharing a 162-run stand with his captain. This ended the day's play with the Australians on 4 for 263, a lead of 406. Day 4 began with Noble, not out on 52, joined by the new batsman Armstrong. It took 10 minutes before the first run was scored, as the English were employing off Fury, bowling wide outside off stump with a stack field on that side of the wicket. Eventually, the monotony was broken with an Armstrong boundary, whilst Noble followed up with two others. This was the Australian's captain's last act though, as he was caught at mid-off off Braun for 65, having batted for over three hours. The Australians had now lost half their side for 289 runs. Hopkins joined Armstrong, who now became more aggressive. He took the score past 300 with three boundaries, whilst Hopkins also cut Rhodes to four. With a score on 320, Hopkins pushed the ball into the offside and set off for a run, but was caught short of his ground by a smart throw from Rhodes. Armstrong followed soon after, caught by Hurst off Bosanquay for 39. The Australians were now 7 for 324. The final three wickets could only put on a further 27 runs, 
with Bowes and Clay running through the tail to finish with four wickets, his best return in test matches to this point. The Australian total of 351 meant they set the English an imposing challenge of 495 to win the match and the series. Hayward and Warner set about the task well, starting confidently with 20 runs coming in the first half hour of the innings. Howell and McLeod made way for Trumbull and Hopkins, but few opportunities were created as the batsmen settled in on the good pitch. The milestones began to tick over, with the 50-run sand followed by Warner's half-century before the Team 100 was brought up after two hours of batting with a Warner boundary. Armstrong was tried and had a couple of unsuccessful appeals, but had little impact otherwise, as Hayward also reached the half-century mark. Even Trumpel was tried without success, before returning to Hopkins. With the end of the day approaching, Hopkins finally gained the breakthrough, trapping Hayward LBW for 67. He shared a 148-run partnership with his captain. Arnold was sent in as a night watchman. He survived an LBW shout before being bowled next ball by Hopkins. This ended the day's play, with English on 2 for 150, still requiring a mammoth 345 for victory. Despite play now being on the fifth day, the pitch was still excellent for batting, giving the English hope they could chase down the target. Not out Warner, who had made his way to 78, was joined by Tildesley. Tildesley had most of the early strike, scoring the first 10 runs of the day. When Warner finally got on strike, he drove a ball hard back to Trumbull to be out without adding to his overnight score. Foster joined Tildesley, but Tildesley immediately fell the next over off Hopkins, with Noble taking a juggling catch at square leg. The English were now 4 for 160. The English could have been 5 down soon after, but Foster was dropped by McLeod at mid-on. He combined with Braun and the two built a partnership, with Braun especially looking comfortable. They took the score onto 194 before McLeod replaced Hopkins. Braun skied a ball to Trumper at point, but the usually safe hands of the great batsman dropped the catch. A single was taken, and next ball Foster was bowled, out for 16. Newman Hurst looked to up the scoring rate, taking the total past 200 and striking three consecutive force off Howe, although the first of these was through the hands of Noble at point. He went past Braun's score quickly. Braun, also looking to up the tempo, only succeeded in chopping a ball from Howe onto his stump to be dismissed for 25. In the same over, new batsman Lily departed for a three-ball duck when he tamely patted one back to Howe. The English were now flailing at 7 for 231 as lunch was taken. Following the break, Warner acted as a runner for new batsman Bosenquay, who was struggling with a knee injury. Along with Hurst, the two batsmen managed to resist for some time. A boundary from Hurst took the score past 250, but both batsmen were out soon after with the score on 256. Bosenquay caught by Trumper off Hopkins for 10, followed by Hurst bowled by Trumbull for 44. The final pairing of Rhodes and Fielder managed to add 22 for the final wicket, before a quick throw from Armstrong caught Rhodes short, ending the English innings on 278, and giving the Australians their first victory of the series, this time by 216 runs. Hopkins was the best of the Australians with 4 for 81. The series was now 2-1 with two tests remaining, with the Australians needing to win the final matches in order to keep their series winning streak alive. This marked the last test appearance for Bill Howe, having never quite lived up to his performances in Shield cricket. He finished with 49 wickets in 18 tests and an average of 28, often underused behind other bowlers such as Trumbull, Noble and Saunders. He would play another season of Shield cricket with New South Wales before retiring, having taken 519 wickets and an average of 21. He took up farming and passed away in 1940. There was over a month until the fourth test to take place in Sydney. This allowed the English to take part in numerous tour games. Two two-day matches against Tasmania, one taking place in Hobart and the other in Launceston, were draws, although Bosenquay and Hayward both scored centuries. The next played Victoria. The home side started well, with a century to Peter McAllister giving them a 51-run lead in the first innings. However, calamity struck when the Victorians were dismissed for only 15 runs in 45 minutes, 
a score that remains the lowest first-class innings on Australian soil. The first four wickets all fell with a score on zero, whilst Harry Trott's top scored with nine. Rhodes, who took five for six in the second innings, finished with 11 for the match, as the innings ended up comfortable eight-wicket victors. Another big win followed against New South Wales, where, despite trailing on the first innings, centuries to Knight and Bosanquay allowed the English to run out 278-run victors. One highlight for the New South Welshmen in their tour match had been the performance of their fast bowler Albert Cotter, otherwise known as Tibby. He had taken eight wickets for the match, including five for 44 in the first innings. He'd also taken six wickets against Victoria in his second Shield match. As such, he was brought into the side to replace Howe, giving the Australians their first true fast bowling option since the retirement of Jones, although he was feeling the effects of a shoulder injury sustained in the tour game and wouldn't be at full effectiveness. Centurion for Victoria in the tour match, McAllister, also came into the side, replacing Armstrong, as the Australians looked to freshen up their side for the must-win rubber. For the English, Knight replaced Fielder in the 11. Warner was successful at the toss and chose to bat. Hayward took the first over from the debutante Cotter and managed to get him away for two twos. Captain faced captain at the other end, with Noble coming out on top immediately, bowling Warner for a duck off his fourth ball with a beautiful delivery that drifted away before spinning back viciously to peg back the leg stump. Tildesley replaced him, and the two batsmen managed to take the score on to 25 before Cotter was replaced by Trumbull. The scoring was slow and the bowling good. The pressure got to Tildesley, who lashed out at Noble and was lucky to get a streaky four through slips. In Noble's following over, Tildesley played a similar shot, but only succeeded in skying it to Gregory at point, out for 16. Foster came in at number four, but shortly after Hayward was dismissed, caught it slipped by McAllister off an inside edge onto his pad. Trumbull had claimed the third English wicket, with a total only on 42 after an hour of batting. Foster was joined by Knight, and the two managed to get through to lunch without further loss, although Foster was lucky to survive a chance when Kelly missed a stumping. Resuming on 66, the English straightaway lost their fourth wicket when Noble had Foster caught at short leg for 19. Braun joined Knight, and the two continued the careful batting of their predecessors. Braun in particular was ultra-cautious, taking 26 minutes to get off the mark, and only reached double figures after 50 minutes at the crease. This brought up the team 100. The return of Cotter to the bowling crease brought about some quick runs, as the speedster struggled with his lengths. He was not helped by the pitch, which was sluggish and suited the English defensive play. In the final 30 minutes before tea, the two batsmen started to make more progress, with Knight being effective behind point, whilst Braun stepped out and found a couple of boundaries with lofted shots over the infield. When tea was taken, Knight had made his way to 44, whilst Braun was on 33, with the English now on 4 for 142. After rotating through Hopkins and McLeod prior to tea, Noble started with himself and Trumbull. Soon after resumption, Knight managed to bring up his 50. Shortly after, Noble caught the edge of Braun's bat, with Trumbull taking a brilliant left-handed catch low down at slip. Braun stood his ground, but when the umpire confirmed the decision, he left the field having made 39. A shower then sent the players off the field for 10 minutes. Upon returning, Hurst was the new batsman with the score at 5 for 155. Knight then should have been dismissed, but Trumbull dropped a court and bowl chance. Hurst did most of the scoring in the next patch, including three boundaries, but became Noble's fifth victim when he attempted to pull a ball, but bottom entered onto his stumps to 25. Bosanquay entered with 20 minutes before stumps and managed to help take the score past 200. With only one over left, Noble turned to Hopkins, who proceeded to bowl Bosanquay for 12 off the last ball of the day. Knight was not out 64, having batted for over three and a half hours as the English ended a slow day's play on 7 for 207. A massive crowd arrived for the Saturday's play, with over 35,000 in attendance. Knight was accompanied to the crease by Arnold. Knight should have been out first ball, but McLeod dropped a chance at point off Noble. This resulted in a single. 
Three balls later, Noble trapped Arnold LBW for a duck. Newman Lily began with the first ball boundary. He then struck Trumbull twice for four in an over. He quickly raced into the 20s before succumbing to Trumbull and was well caught by Hopkins running in from long off. The ninth wicket had fallen at 237, with Rhodes the last man in. Rhodes was missed first ball by McAllister at short leg. He managed to make it to 10 before he ran out to Noble, missed, and was stumped, ending the innings on 249. Knight was undefeated on 70, having taken 50 minutes to add 6 runs to his overnight total. Noble was the star, taking 7 wickets for 100 runs, whilst Trumbull had been miserly in taking 2 for 58 in 43 overs. Duff and Trumper opened for the Australians. Trumper was nearly bowled by the final ball of the first over from Hurst. In the next over, Braun had Duff nicking behind, but the ball flew past the outstretched hand of Lilly and ran for four. The Australians were then able to settle and to make it to lunch without loss on 16. Play only resumed for two hours before a shower sent the players to the field. The delay only lasted 12 minutes before the game continued. The total moved on slowly to 28, before Trumper, who hadn't looked comfortable, was bowled by Braun for seven. Hill came in at three, but play only lasted another over before rain once again intervened. Play was then delayed for over an hour, during most of which no rain fell. This angered the large crowd, with many throwing glass bottles onto the field, whilst others threw watermelon, creating a large amount of debris around the outside of the ground. When people were sent to clean it up, that simply encouraged the crowd to throw more. There was even a pitch invasion when the umpires surveyed the ground, only to delay play further. Play finally resumed after an hour and 20 minutes, with Hurst going for a late cut for four in the opening over. The next over was bowled by Rhodes and went for 10, with Duff finding the boundary on either side of the wicket. Duff, who by then had moved into the 40s, received a blow on the abdomen from Hurst, which winded him for five minutes. He continued, was out shortly after for 47, bowled off his pads by the new bowler Arnold. Debutant McAllister could only manage two before Rhodes, who was switched on to Hurst's end, bowled him. With a score now 3 for 72, Hopkins came to the crease to join Hill. They took the score on to 97 before appealing against the light, which was unsuccessful. Immediately, Braun then bowled Hopkins for 9. McLeod came in, but soon after Hill was out for 33, caught it slip off Arnold. Kelly came to the crease and saw through to the end of the day with McLeod. The Australians are made to 5 for 114, still trailing by 135 runs. Rain fell through the rest day and continued all through day 3, leading for play to be abandoned. Day four saw huge puddles crawl across the ground, meaning it was impossible for play to start on time. High winds enabled the ground to be sufficiently dry for play by 4pm. The pitch had become a quagmire. Kelly fell soon after the resumption, caught it slip off Arnold with only two runs added. Noble joined McLeod and the two took the score on to 124 before McLeod was bowled middle stump by Rhodes to 18. It only took a further 10 minutes for the final three wickets to fall, with Rhodes claiming two and Arnold one. Nobles left six not out, whilst Trumbull and Cotter both made ducks. Rhodes and Arnold both ended with four wickets, whilst Braun claimed the other two. The Australians were dismissed for 131, providing England with an invaluable lead of 118 runs in difficult conditions. Given the pitch, the Australians were hoping for quick wickets to get them back in the game. Warner changed things up at the top of the order, with Foster going in to open with Hayward. Surprisingly for bowlers of such experience, Trumbull and Noble struggled to create challenge for the batsmen. Noble in particular was punished for wayward bowling, eventually to the point he replaced himself with McLeod. With little difficulty, the two openers batted together for almost the entirety of the final hour, putting on 49 runs before Foster was caught by Noble at short leg off Hopkins to 27. Arnold came in at three, but didn't have to face as Hayward successfully navigated the final over. The English, now at 1 for 50, ended the day with a commanding 168 run lead with nine wickets in hand. The rain stayed away to allow for play to begin on time for day five. Noble began the first over and immediately struck, 
having Arnold caught behind for a duck, giving him a pair for the match. Tildesley replaced him and joined Hayward, who was on his overnight score of 23. Tildesley could only manage five before he became Cotter's first test victim, with the speedster clean bowling him. The English were now 3 for 57. The undefeated batsman from the first innings night came to the crease and immediately received a blow to his shoulder from Cotter. Luckily for him, rain came then and allowed him a 30-minute rest before having to resume. The two batsmen slowly moved the score onto 73 before Knight became Cotter's second victim when he was caught at slip for nine. Hayward then gave a chance off Noble, but Trumbull dropped it at slip. Hayward and new batsman Braun were then sent from the field due to more rain, leading to an early lunch being taken. There was nearly three hours delay before the play could resume. During the delay, two men ran from the grandstand to try to get to the pitch, but were caught and escorted away by a policeman to cheers from the crowd. Soon after resumption, Hayward gave another chance, but Noble couldn't complete the court and bowled. Cotter began to go for runs, with Hayward turning him into the vacant area behind square leg multiple times. Braun then brought up the 100 with a square cut for four off Hopkins. Trumbull replaced Cotter, and this soon brought about the breakthrough, with Braun missing a ball to McLeod at mid-on to be out for 19. Hurst joined Hayward, who soon after raised his 50, before he was then trapped LBW by Trumbull for 52, having spent two and a half hours at the crease. The score was now 6 for 120 as Bozenquay came to the crease. He was lucky to survive before he had scored, with Hill dropping a chance running in from the boundary. At the other end, Hurst attacked, with a slash over the slips for four, followed by a shot straight back past the bowler's head into the crowd. He was out shortly after, with McLeod having him caught behind for 18. McLeod followed this up with a wicket of Bozenquay for seven. Warner and Lilly combined at 8 for 141 and took the English to the brink of stumps before Lilly was bowled by McLeod, ending the day's play. The English had made it to 9 for 155, a lead of 273 as the play headed to day 6. The Australians looked to wrap up the innings quickly to restrict their fourth innings target, starting with their quickest bowlers in Cotter and McLeod. However, Warner, who was joined by Rhodes, was able to bat carefully on a slow pitch. Rhodes made most of the early running and quickly went past his captain, making it to 20 runs with little difficulty. A half chance came soon after, but a miss hit from Rhodes landed between Noble and McLeod. The score went past 200, and a 50 partnership for the final wicket was raised before the Australians finally ended the innings, with Rhodes being caught off Cotter at second slip for 29. Warner was left 31 not out as the English posted 210, with Cotter and McLeod both claiming three wickets. The 55-run stand had allowed the English to set a total of 329 for the Australians to keep the series alive. Only a short time remained until lunch, with the Australians surprisingly breaking up their usual opening pair, sending McAllister in with Duff. They managed to make it to six without loss before the break was taken. Following lunch, Hurst got a ball to jag off the pitch and bowl McAllister for one. Hill replaced him and in partnership with Duff managed to reduce the runs required to under 300. Here, Arnold was introduced to the attack and caused some consternation, hitting Hill multiple times on the body. Braun was bowling loosely, but good field placements by Warner meant the damage was limited. Finally, after struggling at the crease for an hour, Duff was clean bowled by Arnold for 19. Trumper joined Hill at 2 for 35, and the two best Australian batsmen looked for a time to get on top, with Hill straight driving Arnold to the boundary, followed by a Trumper back cut for four off the same bowler. They took the score past 50 before Arnold cut the partnership short, trapping Trumper in front for 12. Noble then joined Hill, and the two looked to build a partnership, moving the score into the 70s. Here, Warner turned to Bozenquay. Bozenquay threw the ball up to Hill, with the left-hander leaving his crease. However, it was a googly, and spun away from the left-hander's bat, with Lily completing a smart stumping. Hill was out at 76 for 26. Next man Gregory couldn't manage a run before he was trapped LBW by Bozenquay, bamboozled by the ball spinning into him. This brought about the tea break with the Australians on 5 for 76. Following the break, new man Hopkins attempted to charge Bozenquay, 
but the wrong one had created doubt with which way the ball was spinning, with Hopkins missing completely to be stumped for a duck. Newman McLeod managed six before edging a Bosanquay leg break to Lilly, whilst Trumbull completed a pair when he became Bosanquay's third stumping victim. Bosanquay now had the spectacular figures of 5 for 12, the Australians collapsing from 3 for 76 to 8 for 90 in just over 20 minutes of play. The Australians were now 239 short of the total, with England only requiring two wickets to clinch the series. Noble and Kelly managed to take the score past 100 with some big hitting, before Kelly became Bosanquay's sixth victim when he was caught by Foster at slip for 10. The final partnership managed to put on 57, with Cotter displaying some skill with the bat with five boundaries, and Noble managed to go to past 50. Bosanquay was hit out of the attack, with Hurst returning to end things by bowling Cotter for a run a minute 34. The Australians finished on 171, with Noble undefeated on 53, having survived the carnage at the other end. Bosanquay's figures had been wrecked somewhat by the hitting at the end of the innings, but he still finished with an outstanding 6 for 51, whilst Hurst and Arnold both claimed two. The Ushers, which had been Australia since 1898, were now heading back to England. This was especially gratifying for Warner, as his team had been written off by the local English press before they departed, with Warner's selection of Bosanquay in particular coming in for criticism. There was little time for celebration, though, as the final test in Melbourne was to begin two days after the finish of the Sydney test. The sides took the train to Melbourne and hastily prepared for the game. The Australians made one change, with South Australian Algie Gears coming in to make his debut for Sid Gregory, who outside of his century in Adelaide had only made 77 runs in seven innings in the series. Warwick Armstrong was 12th man. The English made no change to their successful lineup. Rain had fallen overnight prior to the match, but the pitch had been covered, so it was not as bad as it could have been. However, it was not allowed to be covered once the match commenced, so any future rain would have an impact. Noble won the toss and chose to bat. Duff and Trumper started well, taking seven off the first over from Hurst. The breakthrough came early, though, as Duff swung hard at Braun, but missed and was bowled for nine with a score at 13. Hill came in at number three and witnessed from the other end another Trumper special. Trumper straight drove Hurst for four before swinging Braun around to the leg boundary. Rhodes was then introduced, but Trumper struck him for three boundaries in his first over, with the score moving to 50 after only 30 minutes of play. Arnold came on, but Trumper slashed him through the slips for a boundary. At the other end, Hill made his way to 16 before edging Rhodes to Braun at slip. He departed with the score on 2 for 67 and was replaced by Noble. Trumper shortly after brought up his half-century as the two progressed to lunch. Warren had rotated all his bowlers without success as the Australians made it to the break at 2 for 96. Following lunch, Trumper started by cutting Rhodes to 4 to bring up the 100. Noble then found the boundary off Arnold before Trumper, showing great skill, pulled a ball from Arnold wide outside off the sum to the vacant leg boundary. The score raced on to 142 before Braun was brought back. Trumper, who was on 88, drove the ball straight back down the pitch where Braun took a smart catch low down to his left. He hit 11 fours in the innings and was replaced by McAllister. Shortly after, Noble departed for 29, caught its second slip off Arnold. This brought the debutante Gers to the crease at 4 for 144. McAllister started with a shot off Braun that fell just short of the crowd. At the other end, Gers batted cautiously, but when he was on three, he played back to a ball that popped up higher than he was expecting, with the ball bouncing off his back and back to the bowler. Hopkins then combined with McAllister, and the two attacked, with both finding the boundary. Hopkins then hit each of Braun and Bosaquay into the crowd, with the spectators applauding wildly at the hitting. They took the score past 200 just before tea, with the Australians going to the break at 5 for 206, with both batsmen in the 20s. McAllister started after tea with a boundary off Braun, but shortly after was outstumped to the same bowler for 36. Three runs later, Hopkins was out for 32 to the same bowler, giving Braun his fifth of the innings. The Australians were now 7 for 221. From here, Broad ran through the tail, taking the last three wickets to fall, with no player making it out of single figures. The Australian total of 247 was considered disappointing after opting to bat. 
Braun finished with his best figures of 8 for 81. The English had 20 minutes to navigate at the end of the day. They opened with Hayward and Rhodes, but Hayward was bowled without scoring off the fifth ball of the first over by Noble. Arnold came in at three, but was out for a golden duck, cleverly caught down the leg side by Kelly. Rhodes and new batsman Warner saw out the rest of the day at two for four, with the Australians well on top. The next day was the rest day. Day two saw persistent showers all through the morning. This delayed the start of play until four in the afternoon. As the match had commenced, the pitch was not allowed to be covered, meaning it was a sodden mess. This was exemplified by both not-out batsmen being out in the first over, with Rhodes caught a point off the first ball, whilst Warner, after a single to new batsman Tildesley, as out caught in the slips. Cotter being the successful bowler. The next over nearly saw Foster out immediately, but Trumbull dropped him in the slips off Noble. The two batsmen managed to take the score into the 20s before Tildesley became Noble's third victim, caught by Gers at point. Hurst was nearly out first ball, but Noble dropped a return chance. Hurst couldn't take advantage and was bowled by Cotter for a duck. Foster and Braun combined, with Foster hitting Noble into the crowd, but Foster and their knight departed with a score on 36, with one each to Noble and Cotter. The English at 8 for 36, they were in danger of having to follow on, but some hitting from Bosanquay took them past the required mark of 48, upon which Braun fell for 5. Bosanquay and Lilly took the score to 61 before the innings was ended. Cotter claimed the final two wickets to fall, giving him 6 for 40, whilst Noble claimed the other four wickets for only 19 runs. Just under half an hour remained for the Australians. Noble, protecting his best batsman, sent McAllister and McLeod to open the innings. McAllister started with eight off the first over from Rhodes, was out for nine, caught and slips off Arnold. McLeod was then out without addition for a duck, caught off Braun. Kelly and Cotter combined to take the Australians towards stumps, but Cotter was clean bowled by Hurst off the second ball of the last over for a duck. The Australians were at three for 13, but the lead of 199 was immense on the difficult pitch. More rain fell on the morning of day three but the umpires considered the pitch fit to play at the scheduled start time. With the third ball of his uncompleted over from the previous day, Hurst bowled Trumper for a duck. Hill survived the hat-trick ball and played out the rest of the over. Kelly decided to attack, taking seven off Rhodes' first over. Both batsmen struck Rhodes to boundaries, leading to his replacement by Arnold. Kelly responded by hitting him for two boundaries in his first over, but was then out caught and bowled in Arnold's next over for 24. Shortly after, Hill became Hurst's third victim when, after hitting the left armour for a boundary, he miscued a pull shot, was caught at mid-on by Warner for 16. The Australians had now lost half their side for 49 runs. Duff and Noble joined forces and both attacked, finding the boundary on multiple occasions. The score raced to 92 when lunch was taken. Noble was out immediately following lunch, stumped off roads for 19. Hopkins joined Duff and two took the score past 100, with both finding boundaries off roads in the same over. Duff was then dropped by the same bowler driving back down the pitch. He had another boundary, but was then caught by Warner off roads to 31. The batsman crossed and Hopkins survived a loud appeal for caught behind, with only the umpire not agreeing as Hopkins had already started walking off the field. Newman Gers started with a boundary off Hurst, before Hopkins took Rhodes twice more for boundaries in an over. Hurst ended the innings by having Gers caught and bowl for five, before Trumbull was out for a duck. Hopkins was left not out 25, as the Australians' innings ended on 133. Hurst was the pick of the English bowls with five for 48, whilst Rhodes and Arnold both claimed two wickets. This left the English with a target of 320 for victory, they made the worst possible start when Braun was bowled by Cotter for a duck off the first ball of the innings. Tildesley combined with Foster, hooking Noble for four. He did the same to Cotter whilst Foster drove Noble to the long-arm boundary. However, Tildesley then became Cotter's second victim when he was caught at third man for 15. Knight joined Foster, who soon after hit Cotter twice to the boundary in an over. This led Noble to make a double change, bringing on Trumbull and McLeod. Foster hit Trumbull's first ball for three, but Knight was out in the same over, caught behind and completing a pair for the match. 
Warner joined Foster, who struck seven off the following over, was then magnificently caught one-handed on the boundary by Trumperoff Trumbull for 30. The score was now 4 for 47 as Hurst joined his captain. Hurst was lucky to survive a chance off McLeod before scoring, but was then out for one to Trumbull. Bozenquay and Warner took the score onto 61 before Bozenquay was caught on the boundary off Trumbull. The batsman crossed and Warner was out next ball, caught and bowled. Lilly came in for the hat-trick ball and was then trapped LBW, giving Trumbull his second test hat-trick, his first having come during the previous English tour in Australia. It was the first time someone had claimed two test hat-tricks in their career, a feat that has only been accomplished by four players up until 2023. Trumbull now had 6 for 11 as the English collapsed to 8 for 61. Rhodes and Arnold put on 40 for the ninth wicket before Trumbull claimed his seventh wicket, with Arnold caught on the boundary. Hayward had been injured earlier and was unable to bat, meaning the match ended with an Australian victory by 218 runs. Trumbull was the star, finishing with 7 for 28, whilst Cotter added 2 to make it 8 for the match. The consolation win took the series to the 3-2 result in favour of the English. The Australians' loss came down to a few factors. Firstly, the batting was brittle. Trumper and Noble both excelled, averaging 64 and 60 respectively. But outside of those two, the rest of the lineup struggled to consistently put runs on the board. The bowling was more consistent, with the return of Trumbull providing very valuable, leading the wicket takers with 24 at 16, whilst Noble claimed 16 at 20 and Howe 14 at 21. But the lack of the variety in the Australian attack had contributed to their loss. Saunders being ineffective left them without a left arm option, whilst the attack was predominantly slow to medium right armers until Cotter was introduced in the last two tests. For the English, the only century makers were Foster and Braun in the first test of the series, but they found a way to score enough runs for their bowlers to thrive. Here was where they had a clear advantage, with the left-arm spin of Rhodes claiming 31 wickets at 16, whilst the left-arm pace of Hurst, right-arm medium fast of Arnold, and the leg breaks of Braun and Bozenquay all took between 13 and 18 wickets. This series marked the final end of Hugh Trumbull's career. Across 32 tests beginning in 1890, he had taken a world record 141 test wickets at 21, with nine five-wicket innings and three ten-wicket matches, whilst also being a useful batsman, scoring 851 runs with four half-centuries. He also had the distinction of captaining Australia in two matches, winning both. Across his 16-year first-class career, he took 929 wickets and scored 5,395 runs. He toured England on five occasions, taking over 100 wickets on each of the last three trips, as well as doing the double of 1,000 runs and 100 wickets in 1899. Following his playing career, he served as secretary of the Melbourne Creek Club from 1911 until his death in 1938. During his tenure, he oversaw the expansion of the Melbourne Cricket Ground so it could seat 70,000 spectators. The English had one final match before they departed, against South Australia and Adelaide, which they won comfortably by nine wickets, with Braun claiming eight for 43 in the second innings. The tour was a large success for the English, not only winning the Test Series, but across all first-class matches winning eight, losing two, and drawing one. It set the tone for future tours being organised by the MCC rather than as private ventures, although the two did suffer financially, losing £1,500, meaning that the professional players didn't receive a bonus on their tour fee. One of the biggest winners was the English captain, Pelham Warner. He had caught criticism for his selections, particularly at Bozenquay, and his results had validated him. Whilst they had some luck with the weather, Warner went on to claim that they actually succeeded despite bad luck caused by rain, their greater depth in batting and bowling had won out. He also had the fortune of Foster playing an all-time great innings in the first test, something he would never repeat. Foster would only play three more tests against South Africa in 1907 as captain before business interests would keep him from cricket. Warner's decisions to keep his amateurs and professionals together in the same hotels and travelling conditions meant they were a tighter unit than previous sides had been. His bowling changes were also astute and often brought about key wickets. 
His book of the tour, How We Recovered the Ashes, released the following year, detailed all the trials and tribulations of the successful tour. Whilst Warner was quite defensive of his approach and had used the book to settle some scores, it also cemented the legacy of the Ashes as a symbol of Australian English Test Contest for all time, with the English celebrating the man who finally recovered the urn after eight years. Despite the drought-breaking series win for England, the biggest impact of the series was the ramifications of Bosanclay's new delivery. The Rogan would make league spinners the most desirable bowlers in the world. South Africa would go on to win their first Test Series soon afterwards off the back of leg spinners who had learnt the googly after watching Bosanquay in county cricket. In the stands during the Sydney Test were two future Australian leg spinners, Herbert Horden and Arthur Maley, who would go on to use the googly to great effect. Maley would go on to influence the two greatest leg spinners of the 1930s in Grimmett, who would develop his own special delivery, the flipper, and O'Reilly, who would then inspire Richie Benno. In fact, it's possible to draw a line from Bosanquay's invention to the 21st century, when Shane Warne became arguably the greatest bowler of all time, building on the foundations established by Bernard Bosanquay. Thank you for listening. New episodes of Endless Summons will be released fortnightly. Please subscribe to be notified of new releases. You can also follow us on Twitter at pod underscore endless, and you can email us at endlesssummerpod at gmail.com.